If you would, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And after a holiday break now, um, we'll resume the series through Luke. Uh, This is a large passage today, larger than I normally like to preach through on one occasion. But verses 1 through 12, they cover one topic. It's really one topic. And the section heading in my Bible uh, is titled, I don't know about yours, but it says, God Knows and Cares. That's true. God does know and He does care. But that title does seem a little inadequate as we consider the context of the setting. Few of us, if any here, have suffered severe persecution for Christ. Um, I doubt any Christians in America, or very few, would fear sharing the gospel or sharing their faith in Christ out of fear of persecution. But persecution for Christ, it's very real in large sections of the globe. In parts of the Middle East, for instance, some places in India, China, other places, other regions, there's a very real possibility that you would be imprisoned, beaten, possibly even killed for attempting to convert someone to Christianity through evangelism or preaching. And the way conversion is realized is through verbally sharing God's truth, the gospel truth. The Lord's half-brother James writes, In the exercise of his will, God brought us forth. Uh, That that Greek term, apukeo, by the way, means to give birth. In an exercise of his will, God brought us forth, gave birth to our spiritual life, or rebirth, by the word of truth. The preaching of the Holy Word is the only way anyone ever gets saved. Likewise, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 assures Christians that we have been born again, not of seed that is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Uh, so the teaching, the, the preaching, the evangelistic sharing of the truth that's found in the Bible, the truth about Christ, it's the only means that the Holy Spirit has ordained for regenerating a human heart, making them alive to God. Speaking the word is the only way anyone ever gets saved. So we ought not be surprised, folks, that there will be enemies of God's kingdom that will attempt to silence the Christian voice. All right? And if you reflect back before the Christmas holiday break, you'll remember that we had just watched Jesus. Back in chapter 11, he was declaring numerous woes against the Pharisees. There had been an intense verbal altercation. And the Pharisees, they're just experiencing a meltdown over this. And we read in chapter 11, verse 53, when Jesus left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. That consequently consequently becomes the context for the beginning of chapter 12, the instructions that he's giving to his disciples. He was facing entrapment and, and persecution because of the truth that he was speaking. So our passage explains how to respond, how you and I are to respond when experiencing persecution for the sake of Christ, our Christian testimony. And when, even when 
We, we are told to shut up when, pe- when people forcibly attempt to shut us up. Uh, let's read beginning in verse 1, Luke chapter 12. Luke writes, under these circumstances, under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, Jesus began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will be made known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now now let me just stop there for a moment. Uh, Normally when you hear this passage applied... It's by your mother. And it's when you're commenting negatively on Aunt Martha's hot dish, right? You're saying something negative about a hot dish. Perhaps you've made a comment about a relative's poor taste in clothing at a wedding or something privately. And your mother says, you know, little Johnny, just remember, there's going to come a day in the future in heaven where all these words that you're saying are going to be proclaimed at the housetops. Everyone's going to hear, you're going to be really embarrassed when Aunt Martha hears what you said. You're going to be embarrassed on that day. So you're told to be careful about what you say. And folks, we do need to be careful about what we say. But to anticipate some kind of heavenly broadcast, an audible broadcast of every unkind comment that we've uttered throughout our lives, it isn't even close to what this passage is talking about. Instead, Jesus is preparing his disciples to expect persecution. The enemy is coming after him. If you're truly his disciples, you better be ready because Satan and his minions are coming after you. Assuredly. And from our prior scripture reading in Matthew, a, a similar account, we are told to expect to be maligned just like Jesus was maligned. He assured us a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave among his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. And if they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Now listen closely to Jesus' instruction. Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Jesus says, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who persecute the body or who will kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Sound familiar? It should. Very familiar to our words in Luke today. And these are the context of the setting Jesus is teaching in. It involves fearless preaching, fearless teaching in the face of persecution. Opposition. The Pharisees are striving to entrap Jesus. And ultimately to shut him up. Permanently is their goal. In fact, even Christ's own disciple-making efforts, even his own in his lifetime, would to some extent be pushed underground. I say, how do I conclude that? Or how do I 
come to that conclusion, you might ask. Observe the occasion, the location, uh, the provisions for Jesus' final supper, the Passover meal. Uh, The preparations were done in secret. The Pharisees even needed to bribe a traitor. They needed to find someone who would turn on Jesus uh, enough to betray Jesus in order that they might arrest him, that they might find him, arrest him at an opportune time. There were circumstances during Jesus' life, as he was preaching and teaching, uh, when he either needed the multitudes to shield him or to covertly slip away through the crowds to escape. Uh, He even prepared a place for himself and his disciples to hide the final Passover meal he was going to share with them. And here he says, in Luke chapter 12, he says, What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, meaning what he's teaching them, what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. There were occasions when Jesus had to teach his disciples, even whisper to them under the cover of darkness because the persecution had grown so intense. Now, does that mean Jesus is some kind of coward? No. It suggests only that his time had not yet come. And that he did not walk the earth with a martyr complex. Just making it as easy as possible for any random enemy to take him out. That's not what he did. Folks, does this preach in North Korea to the Christian living in North Korea, who has to hide their transistor radio, has to take sections of their Bible and and bury them or hide them in the crevices of their foundation so that even their own school-aged children who have been indoctrinated by the authorities, so even their own school-aged children won't turn them in. The brainwashing, the the indoctrination of the school systems of the youth in North Korea is so intense that some Christians dare not even share their faith with their own children until the children become adults. That's how severe it is. Does that make them cowards? Because I'm sure that there would be some Americans... That would say, you know, why don't just those, those North Korean Christians, why don't they just burst into Pyongyang and run up to that little guy up there at the front and say, you know what, I'm going to share with you the gospel. Why don't they just run in, storm the place? Because that's easy for us to say. As we sit in the comfort of our air conditioning in our recliner, when the most, most daring thing that we do daily or week to week is, you know, hit like on Facebook. There, take that. (laughs) Folks, we need to realize we don't have an accurate understanding of religious persecution. Christian persecution. So when I read the rest of this passage, don't just envision in your mind that, you know, Jesus is calling us all to just storm the enemy lines, running into the machine gun fire. Folks, he he isn't here endorsing an approach of, if you've seen the movie, The Last Samurai. You've seen that with Tom Cruise? 
where at the very end, all the samurais run into uh, storming uh, the machine guns of the advanced army. How many samurais survived out of that? Zero. That's why they called it the last samurai. Some Christians get this so wrong. So it's worth clarifying, our mission isn't one where we seek to become a martyr. Where we seek to die. But it is a mission that's worth dying for. It's worth dying for if the occasion arises when we must. Remember, the passage is one of facing persecution. It is still under these circumstances when Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear You are more valuable than many sparrows. This is primarily a word of reassurance to Christ's disciples. The disciple who's facing persecution, God God knows and cares, as my section heading reads in my Bible. But it also develops into a stern warning for the many unbelievers in the crowd also listening. Verse 8. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Well, in this picture, who has just denied Jesus? The Pharisees. Who has spoken a word or words against the Son of Man? The Pharisees. Who has blasphemed the Holy Spirit by claiming Jesus is under the influence of Beelzebul? Just reference Mark 3.30. Again, the Pharisees. They are the enemy Jesus repeatedly refers to here. He even began this section by saying, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. All right. So when Jesus warns in verse 11, When they bring you into the synagogues, And the rulers and the authorities, don't worry, who's he talking about? The Pharisees. So so the warning to this crowd is, don't allow yourself to be influenced by the leaven of the Pharisees who are opposing Jesus under these circumstances. Don't side with them. John 8.44 tells us that their father is the devil, right? They are the hypocrites who claim to believe in God and yet utter murderous threats against God's Son. Murderous threats against everyone who follows Him. But Jesus is not suggesting we should hurry out and stupidly get ourselves killed. That that isn't courage. 
Instead, Jesus is reassuring his disciples, in the future, when you find yourself in a similar situation to what I am today, speaking at that time, as, as you see to me, me today, as they are trying to entrap me, when you too are about to be entrapped, do not worry. Do not be afraid. Not even if they threaten to put you to death. Don't worry. So this is not a call to martyrdom, but a call to an unwavering faith in the face of religious tyranny. Christians over the centuries, they've never tried to get themselves killed. They've never done foolish things to attempt to get themselves killed. Uh, we've, we've struggled to survive. That's the history of the church. Uh, if you struggle to believe that we are not to strive to, to, to save our own life, I, I got a story about an apostle that was lowered in a basket outside of a, a city wall of Damascus in order that he might get away. That's the Apostle Paul. Um, it's said that some early Christians under the persecution of Rome uh, descended into the catacombs. These are tunnels and, and burial grounds underneath the city. Tunnels built with graves in them under the city in order to escape from the persecution of Nero. When Protestant reformers were being killed in France, John Calvin, a Frenchman, fled his homeland so that he could continue his important work in Geneva. It was while hiding in Wartburg Castle when Martin Luther wrote his first translation in the German language, all preserving their life so that their work can continue to go on. And since Jesus himself sometimes sought refuge, the only logical way to to interpret this passage is for us to understand that there will be seasons, there will be situations when Christians have to hide. Sometimes we'll be forced to speak in the dark and whisper in the inner room. Folks, North Korea is experiencing those conditions right now. And it's not only them. There are other places in the world where persecution is very intense. And there will come other times where Christ's message preserved through that whisper. The gospel preserved through the whisper in the dark. There will be times it can be proclaimed from the housetops, openly from the housetops. America is currently experiencing those conditions. But regardless of the culture you live in, each of us will face opposition from those who deny Jesus Christ and want to silence our message. I'm personally, personally not experienced to the point to advise North Koreans how that man or woman should live out their faith, other than, to the best of their ability, live out the timeless truth found in Colossians chapter 4, the universal biblical principle. Listen to this. Think about yourself in North Korea. Be alert and pray that God will open up a door for the Word, and that you may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which even Paul had also been imprisoned. And that you may make it clear in the way you ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, 
as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You know, we, we think in America that we've got all the, the perfect and correct theological applications to every passage, but when you're a persecuted Christian surviving in the catacombs, the proverbial catacombs of your situation, and when you're enduring physical oppression for the very Christ that you profess, these words of Christ take on a much deeper meaning. Much deeper meaning. Comparatively for us in America, we're in a season, a season of proclaiming from the housetops the gospel. It's an opportunity for us to speak openly during the day, during the light of day. And it's an opportunity well, when we can do it while we still have time. Because you shouldn't be fooled into dismissing the satanic forces, even in our land, who want to silence the Christian voice. There exist very large and powerful segments within our government and other regulating bodies who want to silence the words of Christ. Persecution is on the horizon, folks. The enemy knows that people only get saved through the preaching of the Word. The enemy knows that, so the enemy stands against it. Folks, the pro-choice movement, the abortion movement, is a very powerful adversary. The gay and lesbian activists, though representative of a tiny fraction of the population, are heavily funded, heavily funded through wealthy movie and entertainment uh, executives in the industry. And their message, their message comes across loud and clear. Daily, live how you wish, indulge how you wish, eliminate any inconvenience that gets in your way, no matter whether it has a heartbeat or not. Enjoy sex any way you would like with anybody you like. And, and Hollywood thrives. You, we have to talk about the mechanism behind here. Hollywood thrives financially through promoting that carnality. People want to watch it. The unsaved population in particular, it's a threat to Christians as well, but the unsaved population wants more of it. And it's growing and growing and growing. And the problem is, our Christian message, the words we speak, the words of truth found in the Bible speak directly in opposition to what they speak. You see the problem here? There's an impact coming. Our message is repent, turn from your sins, be saved, trust in Christ, believe that He is the only way, the truth, and the exclusive passage into eternal life. And when we declare Jesus from the, from the housetops or from the television uh, uh, media or on YouTube or in our churches or from the street corner, we may not yet be imprisoned or tortured, or put to death yet, but we certainly are opposed. Certainly are opposed. But we're not to worry. There's nothing to fear. 
The only one to be feared is God who has the authority to cast into hell. And to illustrate how closely God is watching over the Christian, that, that's us who are born again and have placed our faith in him, to illustrate how closely God is watching over you as a Christian, Jesus illustrates something of a very minute value, very minute value, sparrows. He says, aren't five of them sold for two cents? Answer is yes. Sparrows, very plentiful. Lots of them, very numerous, have no value. Two cents. But Matthew 10, verse 29 says, Yet not even one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God knows, and he cares. And what Luke is amplifying, it's God's omniscience. Uh, that, that means he knows everything that occurs on the planet, even down to the most insignificant event. A, a sparrow falling in the woods, God knows. Uh, later in this chapter, he'll speak about the ravens who God feeds. And Jesus will say, aren't you much more valuable than many birds? Fact is, yes. Yes, we are. So, so Jesus here is not speaking to the value of, beer, of birds, um, as, I, as some animal rights activists will suggest. That's not what he's speaking to. But to the or, enormous contrast between the value of a human compared to the value of beast. The same is in reference to God's omniscience uh, to hair. To hair in verse 7. Uh, I know most of us consider hair quite valuable here. I'm, I mean, I like it. Hair is good. It is very valuable. But God, being omniscient, knows the number on every person's head. It's extraordinary, considering that they're always falling out. You know what I mean? God's always keeping track. Even the hairs. So God's divine omniscience of knowing everything, even every human event is the emphasis of this passage. God knows and he cares. And and consequently then, ask yourself this, consequently, do you not think that if you are witnessing to Jesus Christ, witnessing of God's greatness and, and his glory and 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 all the good things that he's done for us through salvation and through the blood of Christ, if you're witnessing to all those wonderful things, do you not think he's watching? Of course he's watching. When you confess to others the divinity of Jesus Christ and, and how God's Son died on a cross, paying the debt for all of our sins, who all of us who believe in him, and then arose triumphantly on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Do you think God's watching? Oh, He's watching. He's watching. And as you are confessing Christ, God is saying to His own angels, that, that person's mine. You see that? Him or her, that one's mine. That's, that's how a child of God looks, one who's born again by the Holy Spirit. That's how they look. He or she confesses me as God and Savior. The Scripture says God even dispatches the angels, ministering spirits sent out to render aid to the saints who are to inherit salvation. Angels know what's going on. 
Christ said the Father could dispatch 12 legions of angels, no problem. So what could there possibly be to worry about? And the day will come. The day will come. Verse 8, when Christ himself, Christ himself will confess us before the angels of God, but he who denies Christ before men will be denied before the angels of God. You know, my impression here is that that Jesus is making reference to the separation of the sheep from the goats. That's found in Matthew chapter 25, um, where it is written, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as the the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You've probably read the balance of that chapter all who have proven they are, uh, are Christ's sheep will have confessed that fact through word and through deed, both. Well, the goats who did not care for the body of Christ, didn't take care of them, didn't feed them, didn't visit them when they were sick, didn't visit them when they were imprisoned for their faith, they have, in fact, denied Jesus through word and deed. Um, these, Matthew 25, verse 46 says, we'll go away into eternal punishment. Matthew 25, verse 41, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Luke 12, verse 5, Jesus calls that place of eternal fire hell. Hell, folks. Does it exist? I think Jesus thinks so. I think we can trust his opinion on the deal. So, so then, who according to Matthew 25 as Christ is sitting on his throne separating the sheep from the goats, who ultimately then judges and casts the goats into hell? The Son of Man. Jesus. The Son of Man... So when he tells the crowds, when Jesus tell the crowd, tells these crowds in, in Luke 12, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. The Israelite would, would correctly conclude, would rightly conclude, the only one who has the authority to send to hell is God, Right? And Jesus would respond, that answer is correct. I am God. And and one day, Jesus would say, I will return in my glory. And I will sit on my glorious throne to judge the wicked and damned. So we realize as Christians, looking back at this event and the balance of Scripture in retrospect, that in verse 5 of Luke 12, Jesus is actually suggesting Don't fear the Pharisees. Don't fear what they can do to your body or even that they can kill kill you, merely kill the body. 
If you want something to fear, Jesus would say, fear me. Fear God, who has the authority to cast into hell. Not exactly something you're going to hear from Joel and Victoria Osteen. Which brings up probably my last important point that we have to draw out of this before we close. Um, What about all the false teachers who are confessing Christ? I'm not going to go into verses 11 and 12. I'll just read them here shortly. Um, When they, that is the Pharisees or the current enemies, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. We'll come back to that again. Again, there's no reason to worry. The Holy Spirit will prompt you in your words in that situation. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But since our passage doesn't describe a future airing of every comment, though we will give an account to God even for every idle word, but it doesn't describe a future airing of our private comments, and since that which is hidden about Christ will be made known and proclaimed from the housetops, that's what we're talking about, the gospel in God's timing, what do we make of of false confessions? Of false confessions. Because verse 8 can be confusing. For in verse 8, Jesus clearly says, Everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. Hmm. Does that suggest, this is just an illustration, Does that suggest, because we don't know, but does that suggest the Osteens or Ken and Gloria Copeland or Jesse Duplantis are automatically in because they've confessed Jesus is Lord? Are they automatically in? We don't know their heart. It doesn't. It doesn't automatically mean they're in. Follow me here. Only God knows their heart. Same with us here. Everyone here, only God knows the heart. We can only assess false doctrine. And and Scripture demands that the church do so. The Apostle Paul, Scripture demands many things. The Apostle Paul even calls out Hymenaeus and Alexander and Philetus by name as false teachers, to avoid them, to be careful of them, to watch out for their false doctrine. The Apostle John calls out Diotrephes by name. Demas was marked out as a deserter. So the pattern given in Scripture is to identify false teachers who endanger Christ's flock by name. We don't do that very often. We don't do that very often. And with television and radio and YouTube, there are many who have professed Christ who are in fact a danger to the church. There are many who are good too. But many are a danger to the church. And, and we know that all true Christians 
will confess Christ. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved, right? Romans 10.9. We have to emphasize the believe in your heart, folks. For many false teachers have confessed Jesus as Lord, Lord, Lord. Haven't we done many marvelous things in your name? Who will hear Jesus reply, depart from me, you doers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Yet they're confessing Jesus is Lord. That's Matthew 7.23. So don't place too much confidence in the fact that you share a post about Jesus on Facebook. That's fine to do. Just don't put too much confidence in that. In fact, that's good to do if you're on there. I'm not on there, but if you're on there, that's good. Don't conclude you're a Christian because you drive to church each Sunday. Lots of people drive to various churches on Sunday all over the place. Don't even be reassured by the fact that you told a family member or a co-worker that you're a Christian over lunch or that you shared with them a tract. A tract. Don't be reassured by that. Because when Jesus says in Luke 12, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven, his statement about those confessions is rightly evaluated in the heat of religious persecution. That's the context we're in there. Jesus is saying, whoever confesses me as Lord in this context facing persecution, willing to stand firm for Christ when they're facing a loss. That's something we don't experience in America. Not not broadly. So, So what does that say about gauging who is and isn't a Christian in a culture where persecution doesn't often arise? It's really hard to tell, folks. It's really hard to tell because there's no persecution in order to weed them out. The only thing you can do is assess their doctrine. Some have really bad doctrine. While in a culture like North Korea, religious persecution quickly weeds out the false Christians. You can't even tell people you're a Christian over there openly or you will go into a camp. That weeds persecution weeds out the false converts. That's why Jesus says, whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess you to my Father who is in heaven. It's because they've confessed Christ in the face of persecution. And and as I ask now the men to come forward, 